the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Let's get it going right here and right now. This is New Generation Declassified, and you are listening to a brand new New Generation Declassified exclusively here on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week we sit down and we take a trip back in time and relive some of the glory days of professional wrestling, more exclusively the World Wrestling Federation's New Generation era. And this is actually one where we had a little bit of a buildup and something that I've been uh, very excited to talk about because it's so abstract and off the wall is this week we talk about the WWF's Kuwaiti Cup 1996, of course, with my crack broadcast team. And we're going to welcome them in here now first. You know, CP, he comes here every week. He's actually the man who thought about this idea. And CP, we got to tip the cap to you in advance for uh, finding this gem and bringing it to the table. A tip the cap uh, back to you, my friends. Uh, I'm very excited to be here, though, today. I think this is going to be a very interesting episode where we have to go, where we get to go back in time to a um, a place where the relations with wrestling in the Middle East are a little more honest. We don't necessarily have twenty million dollars Saudi deals in place, uh, and you know <laughs> we're in a post original. Iraq war with a country that's happy with the States at the time and a melancholy Shawn Michaels. We'll talk about that and we'll talk about that later, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited for today's episode. Very nice. Yes. The, uh, the, the United States and Kuwait have come a long way since the Gulf war, just a few years prior. And now the world wrestling federation is bringing everybody uh, together as one molded unit. Uh, but we will get into that in just a couple of minutes. We're going to welcome in our special guest this week, joining us for the very first time here on the TMPT Empire, a, uh, a a podcast guru in her own right, Jennifer Jenny Smith. I don't want to discredit the name. I want to get the full one out there. Uh, but it's really cool to have you on tonight. Thanks for coming. Thank you guys for having me. I've sort of lately become a fan uh, ever since she asked me to be on the show and then I had to marathon all of you guys episodes. Um, it's a really great show. So I'm super excited to be here. Well, we appreciate that. Thank you very much. It's a, uh, it's a labor of love. It's one of these shows that just kind of came out of left field, but it's a, uh, it, it's been something to relive nonetheless. And this show really uh, the antithesis of what I think the concept was of the podcast, really, because it's finding something. I say declassified, not because we're going to really unearth some like ungodly uh, news or some hidden, you know, rumor or thing that nobody ever heard. But I mean, you bringing, might, but well, we could, but it's bringing these shows to the, to the forefront and shows like this where yes, this is a random ass show, but there's a lot of footage out there about it, which is really cool. Um, Sitting down to discuss this is going to be a trip. So uh, I, you're joining the crack broadcast team this week. So I hope you're ready. I'm going to try to be ready. I'm kind of ruining your gimmick with like experts and like people who have um, firsthand accounts of being at these <laughs> places. But I'm going to give it my best shot. 
Well, I know CP. Were you in attendance at the Kuwaiti Cup? You know, you you pop up at uh, you know Diesel's title victory. You pop up at WrestleMania. <laughs> I just 10. assumed you were at the show. <laughs> were you I in did. the background? <laughs> I was actually there. It was a very fun night. Um, there was no alcohol allowed, but I was very underage, so that was okay. I got to meet Tony Khan. It was a good night. <laughs> now I'll tell you what. So we you mentioned it in the intro there, CP. You know we know now, obviously, the WWE's relationship with the Saudis and the Saudi uh, shows up until obviously the pandemic being a huge focal point now of the WWE's calendar year. And for a few years there at the end of the 90s, this Kuwaiti Cup became somewhat of a uh, regular show for them uh, once a year, 96, 97. But they were always kind of touring the Middle East. Um, but in relation to newer fans, maybe just knowing about the Saudi shows, uh, this is a little different. And you feel right off the bat the uh, like the specialty that is those WWF superstars uh, taking the, uh, you know, the stage there in, in Kuwait. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's clear. Um, I mean, you, you're you're five years removed, basically, from the Iraq War, but the original Iraq, Iraq War. But uh, we're still allies with Kuwait uh, at that time, and it just it just feels like a special moment. All the superstars are there; they think this is an important show, and uh, yeah, no, it's a it's a good atmosphere for everyone to be involved with. So, with tournaments, Jenny, where are you at with tournaments? Do you like? You know, the if it's not for a title, do you like just the, you know, the, the kayfabe tournament where, you know, the winner gets $10,000 or in this, the, the winner gets the Kuwaiti Cup? Do you like these kind of abstract tournaments where there's not a real, you know, legit storyline prize at the end of it? I'm going to say yes, I do. Um, I think you get to see some unusual matchups. And um, I think that. You know, it's fine if there's not a real actual, like, it's bragging rights, basically, I guess. Do, do we actually need a cup, though, you know? Well, yes. you always <laughs> yes. need a cup. <laughs> but, you know, you need that cup to get smashed at the end. That's the oh, only uh, yeah. That's the only thing, you know, that's, yeah, you think back WrestleMania 4, Bret Hart wins the, uh, or Bad News Brown wins the Battle Royal, will they destroy the trophy? You know, uh, you think about, uh, you know, anytime somebody had some sort of, uh, you know, money on the line, the money gets stolen at the end of the night. It's one of those little pratfall things, but it seems like the Kuwaiti Cup was a little bit of a vehicle, if you will, <laughs> for one Ahmed Johnson. But we're okay. going to get to that here yes. in a couple of minutes. So now the Kuwaiti Cup taking place May 8th through 12th, 1996 in Kuwait City, Kuwait. Uh you know, you know, European tours, you know, international tours, you don't always have like the top, top tier talent. This one did, but it also had a really big balance <laughs> of not top tier talent. So looking at the list on both sides, which one stood out to you first, CP, the, the main event guys that were there or the non-main event guys that were on the card? Absolutely. The non-main event guys. The, the first round of this tournament is it might be the greatest thing that I've ever seen before. And maybe there were similar tournament uh, rosters uh, like this before, but just especially coming back to 2020, I mean, the 15 time world champion triple H had a great back and forth match with, with uh, butch in the first round, <laughs> which was fantastic. And there are several other, like several others like that, that were just, yes, they're wild matchups to look at them now. 
How about that, Jenny? What do you think? Same thing. Uh, you know, the you got the I wouldn't call them jobbers. They're not jabronis. They're just okay. lower card stars versus really you got your Bret Hart, who was technically on sabbatical at that point. Bret Hart wasn't on WWF TV um, during the summer of 96. Uh, you got the champ is Shawn Michaels. You got the Undertaker. So you have those top tier guys. But again, Bushwhacker Butch in a opening round contest against uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. I mean, who do you want to see? Dumpster, Drozzy, or the Undertaker? <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I don't know if you're asking me. I might go with Duke. <laughs> I might take Dumpster. Oh, God. <laughs> I might go with Duke. <laughs> I know you would go with Marty Jannetty. Um, I would absolutely go with Marty Jannetty. I would go, if I was going to book I mean, it. Well, I don't know. Isaac Yankum's another, uh, you know, uh, that's a that's a hidden gem. Uh, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod to my yes. uh, my big my big buddy Glenn. Um, but I'll tell you what, uh, Marty Jannetty, if I'm booking this, is winning the whole damn thing and probably <laughs> sweeping. Not even like a contested loss along the Your way. Jannetty love is is strong. He was too busy though, being in a 20 minute chin lock. That is, right? the one, I did watch that match and I was very confused. Uh, when I was watching it today, I don't remember just Marty Jannetty being in a chin lock for at least a third of the match of <laughs> Stone Cold. All right. Now I'm going to run down the card just to, so people who are listening get the context of it. And this is, you know, not having, I'm not going to give you every single result. I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, you know, what the matches were. You had opening round contest, Bret Hart versus Leaf Cassidy, Al Snow. Uh, Yokozuna, Owen Hart, Marty Jannetty, Steve Austin, which I believe I could be wrong. I think I saw that match on a house show <laughs> in 1996. Uh, Ahmed Johnson versus Aldo Montoya. Uh, I have reached out to Aldo for comment, but he has not responded yet. Um, the Undertaker battling his brother, Dr. Isaac Yankum, DDS. Uh, Duke the Dumpster, Josie versus the British Bulldog. Savio Vega versus Mr. Bob Backlund. And uh, the, the I would say, underrated contest of the century, uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley taking on Butch Miller of the Bushwhackers. <laughs> uh, every single one of those matches you just named were, like, kind of good matches, though. Like, nobody <laughs> nobody dominated. They weren't great matches, but they there wasn't somebody. I mean, Bret Hart gave Leaf Cassidy a ton of offense in that match. Like, that was a back-and-forth match. And I felt like Butch Triple H was the same way. Well, if you can get past the commentary of Butch Triple H. (laughs) (laughs) I would agree with you on Butch Triple H, not so much with uh, Leaf Cassidy. Where was Luke, by the way? Did did they not fly him to Kuwait? Could have been the case. You know, maybe it could have been a visa thing for all we know. It it was weird because the Bushwhackers were, you know, very undercard, uh, non-essential tag team bouts uh, during that part of 96. They were basically on their last go round the the WWF. I honestly have no memory of ever seeing a Bushwhacker separated from the other Bushwhacker outside of Royal Rumbles, where Butch would, (laughs) you know, be the best Royal Rumble participant ever, but... Well, you're just not looking hard enough, my friend. <laughs> what a nose commentary during that match as yeah. well. Yeah, and fun. like, and and I just I was talking to CP before you jumped on, Jenny, and that's the thing. Like, it, it really struck me was that this is released uh, on Coliseum Video as part of World Tour 1996. It was a clipped, basically best of Ahmed Johnson uh, release, but they have recorded commentary for a few of these matches, and it is legit. Like, shoot, jokey, complete, like ha ha let's just riff commentary and they literally talk about the noses of butch and triple h the entire match well they're big like, noses 
Like, I mean, like you got some big noses, dude. And then Triple H like trips and like hits his nose at one point. So it's like they were asking for it, really. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Look, look at the size of that nose. I'm Doc <laughs> Hendricks. And it's weird because all right, so I'm part of the commentary for this show. You have Jim Ross and Doc Hendricks, Michael Hayes, and then you also have Gorilla Monsoon with uh, Jim Ross, which uh, what a treat to hear Gorilla Monsoon mm -hmm. at this part of 1996. Yeah. Who he did a he did sporadic shows. He'd pop in on a wrestling challenge every so often. You know, he would still do some live event detail uh, on the local television. But this is a legit Jim Ross Gorilla Monsoon again riffing and making fun of Paul Bearer. I would I couldn't believe it. Calling him fat, calling him useless. <laughs> You know, like, and they're sitting there, they're probably laughing their asses off when they hit the cough button because the commentary is so off the wall. And guess what? I stopped watching WWE because of the commentary because it was so bad. And with my ears now, I love the, hearing those guys because I'm a big fan of theirs. But that is like in line with how they do the commentary now. Wow. You really That's stopped watching for commentary reasons? Yeah, it was a big, well, amongst other things. It was a big deal, a big part of it. I couldn't, like, how can you watch a show if you can't believe what you're listening to? It is you know? interesting, though, the way you say that, because it is similar to commentary now, but it's almost like, but it's in the box of this one show. It's not, they're just like goofing around in the studio commentating over this weird Middle East tournament. I mean, I don't, I can't, because I agree with you. Like, I can't watch WWE wrestling right now mostly because, or a chunk of it is because of the commentary. And it's, it's been like that for years. Yeah. Um, but, and it is the jokey same style. But I, I just think it's, yeah, it's, you know who it's, those guys are. It's different you know coming from JR. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I'll tell you what, I mean, and I've been in the recording booth at that television studio when the guys start riffing. And here's what they got to do. They either the director or whoever's producing the segment says, okay, guys, start over. And they start the match over because they kind of go off track. But in other times, if they kind of get back on track, they'll leave it in because, you know, some people it's going to go right over their head. And others, they're going to be like, oh, let me go type that on the Internet now that I, you know, heard, you know, I heard Jim Ross call uh, Paul Bearer a fat ass, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel attacked, but okay. Okay. <laughs> uh not lying but, about Paul Bear. Well, nonetheless. <laughs> so you're telling me that JR wasn't really in the 90 degree heat in Kuwait. Well, I'm not going to break kayfabe again. I wasn't there. So no. I'm not saying JR wasn't on the tour. He could have been on the tour. Uh, and I, and I seem to recall just going back and dialing into the, you know, the noodle here that they did show clips on television of the tour, but they didn't tell you what was going on. Am I right? CP? I yeah. I, so I was, that's kind of my memory of it because I remember the Kuwait Cup, but not really the specifics of matches and stuff. But I remember it being extensively talked about on TV. I feel like I remember that's some things I couldn't find on YouTube. I remember Ahmed Johnson. I remember, you know, filming of Ahmed Johnson holding up the trophy. I remember people talking about Bret Hart. That was the only time at that time that Bret Hart was on television was right. them showing clips of Bret Hart in Kuwait because he was – you know, he had left after the Shawn Michaels, uh, after the Iron Man match at WrestleMania, and he was in contract negotiations and doing Lonesome Dub that summer. But that was basically the only remnants of him on television. So, yeah, I definitely remember that stuff, but I, I couldn't necessarily find in my digging of for stuff TV clips of just, you know, Raw and Superstars. Here's the Kuwaiti Cups action. 
Yeah, without a doubt. Now, Jenny, what stood out to you just about the, the tournament itself and some of the matches we just talked about? Well, you know, it's funny because um, I actually had access to um, basically this whole show. I think the only thing I didn't watch was um, Owen's last match in the tournament. But uh, so I watched most of this and some of the non-tournament matches <laughs> were like standouts for me. But um, I guess we can talk about those in a bit. But um, I, I, this is interesting for me as opposed to different tournaments because usually when I watch them, they're all like in one night. So you progressively will get more and more tired and the matches will get shorter and shorter as you go throughout the tournament. So since this is spread out over a couple of days, there was none of that. So all the matches were really long. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but it was good. Like I thought it fit the atmosphere. I thought that all the guys across the board did a good job at giving the people in attendance, a really good show. Um, they really pandered to the crowd a lot. They really, um, ate up time with their entrances and it was a big like spectacle yeah during thought, the tournament yeah i yeah. thought the same thing the entrances really stood out to me because they were very long and yes. like we're talking music loops the whole nine yards and that i don't know if that is just the stadium because you know we've seen the saudi shows the the large arenas that they're in you know very long entrances kind of thought that might play into the fact but that was something that stood out right away was that I'm, you know i'm listening to the show and I'm hearing, you know, the Hunter Hearst Helmsley harpsichord literally over and over and over. I'm like, geez, <laughs> did the guy fall asleep behind the, uh, you know, the, the tape machine at that point? Because that was a huge uh, glaring thing about the uh, the entrances. Um, also, Brett was like completely beloved. And I was kind of taken aback by that. I don't know why. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, do, you, do you care to elaborate? Well, I think that my Brett love has been um, a work in progress, and <laughs> I, I, I'm just not used to seeing him, like, I mean, with little kids, yes, but it, it was like an extreme amount of love for Brett, like, in all of the, the video packages and all the entrances, and he was just eating it up, like, normally, I see Brett as fairly cold right. um, in the ring, and so... I really thought I saw a lot of warmth in him during these shows. Like, and he gave like really great matches. Well, that's a regular thing you find with Brett in this time yeah. period, whenever he's not in America and not, no, I'm not saying he was not the top babyface in America for a chunk of time, but it just seems like whenever he's on foreign soil, he's on like Hulk Hogan love level. Yeah. It was like insane. Yeah, and that's kind of what plays into the Brett heel character of 97 is that yeah. something's wrong with the United States audience that they don't belove him the way that the fans all across the rest of the countries do because what's wrong with America? And that plays into the genius of that character that on a given week, he can be a heel crossing the border in, you know, uh, Albany, New York. And then the next weekend they're in, you know, Saskatoon and he's <laughs> yeah. the beloved conquering hero. And it's almost the genius of what that wrestling with shadows documentary is because yeah, he could go to Kuwait and be the top guy. And even though Shawn Michaels is the world champion on this tour, Bret Hart is the guy and they, they were turning them away in droves uh, apparently. And it makes you think, I mean, I, I've always been a big Bret Hart fan, but it makes you think, what was it about Brett that translated so well with that audience? I wondered that too. Um, 
I, th I thought it was just me being an American, I guess, uh, with my Brit feelings, but um, it's good to see. Like, I, I think it brings out something in him that really appeals to me. And um, I, I enjoyed watching him in this. Sean, however, was um, very subdued, not, not very flamboyant and sort of respectful. And it also kind of welcome to see from Sean, too. You know, I yeah. had a very, I had a very great match with Bret Hart. Uh, I'm hope, I hope he was honored to be in the ring with me. I was honored to be in the ring with him. <laughs> well, there's two things you could probably either assume about that particular version of HB uh, Shizzle, and it's this: one, he was either nervous as hell that this is his first tour as world champion overseas in this capacity and that he is now the focal point because i don't know if you guys checked out the uh the one clip that has the press conference mm -hmm. uh attached to it you know and they show sean entering with the halliburton briefcase and he is the guy he is the the world champion he's the representative uh could have been a lot of pressure on him now we've come to learn in recent years that the pressure got to him in a big way so he also may have been under some sort of substance but i am never going to accuse somebody of that because we don't know but you know one could assume possibly making him so subdued but i think it could could be nerves as being world champion and this being your first big foreign tour you know only having won the belt two and a half months prior so yeah no absolutely and it's probably a, it's probably nerve-wracking for him to see brett there just because kind of it's probably the first time or close to the first time those guys have interacted in a while and you know there could be uh he is in um yeah, an area where the military is stationed in certain areas so there could be one to 47 marines around the vicinity <laughs> Yes, there could be many uh, Marines uh, around, and that, of course, we know makes Shawn Michaels feel a little, little queasy in his uh, his little loafers that he used to wear. Um, but uh, nonetheless, you know, the tournament itself, um, you know, I guess you could say very well done. Again, over a couple nights, the full card, like you would mentioned before, Jenny, it's very interesting, the mm -hmm. fact that, you know, not only are you getting these tournament matches, but you're getting these, like, standout singles contests that you wouldn't see you know, you get your Shawn Michaels, Marty Jannetty main event on on one of the shows. You know, you get Bret Hart and The Undertaker teaming up uh, against uh, Owen Hart and the British Bulldogs. So you see these like amazing like pay-per-view or, you know, Monday Night Raw main event matches here on a show that essentially these will never see the light of day more than likely. Yeah, there was a Brett and Austin match on there too. Yeah, that I yeah. really enjoyed. That was good stuff. Um, and then, like Shawn Michaels, I think he he had a Yoko match on there too, um, and I think an Owen match. So he was, you know, he was working hard every night too. Like I enjoyed everything that I saw on the tournament for the most part. Actually, the Brett match is December '96. They go to Dubai, and that's mm. Brett and Austin. Uh, unless I'm just, I glanced over it. I'm just looking at the card as we're talking. Oh no, you're right. I'm sorry. No, May 9th, 1996. I apologize. Mm -hmm. No, it's okay. Um, I was looking further down because this is only one match they have on here. But also, you get Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> 96. Yeah. At that point, it wasn't happening. That's why it's a, it's such a unique collection. You know, it's just such a off the wall um, card and shows and event. Um, what a, yeah, what a gem. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm marveling at this. as we. Speak. No, I was too. Like in the atmosphere <laughs> brings a lot to it too. Cause everyone, like the whole crowd is, I mean, 
they're, they bring it every night and they, they don't let anybody um, feel unloved or unhated. They're really good about booing the heels and, and really hating on the heels, especially the bulldog. They were awful to him. It was pretty great. <laughs> um, and then um, Austin eat, eating up all of that heat. Yeah. As well too, yeah. Especially in the Janetti match. Yeah. Oh. And you know what? What were you going to say? I was just going to say, it's about eating up heat. Bob Backlund. Oh, my God. <laughs> against Savio Vega. And I I talked in another episode extensively, my our house show discussion about the Diesel uh, title uh, match. But mm-hmm. Bob Backlund was amazing at just – this Savio Vega match was just Bob Backlund walking around, uh, <laughs> flailing his arms at the crowd – Almost getting counted out when the referee insists on starting, but rolling in and then getting out again. And the <laughs> Saudi or the um, the uh, Middle Eastern crowd from Kuwait is just booing him. And ta- I don't know. It's it's amazing what Bob Backlund does. Oh, he was awesome. Um, <laughs> what a, what a weird guy. <laughs> just a weird guy. No way better to say that. <laughs> I was in you know the the Middletown South High School gym in uh, 1999 and watched Bob Backlund do that same exact thing, walking <laughs> around an independent show for 20 minutes, yelling at every single person on every side of each bleacher, and it was uh, it was a main event against Draws, and he did the same exact thing of going up and down and yelling at this person, and yelling at that, and it's just that genius of that Mr. Bob Backlund persona you know it was off the off the wall and unhinged we're literally recording while there's president's debate going on and i would rather see bob Backlund's participating in this debate than anybody else Backlund's heavy into politics from what i understand he he ran for president he ran for president he also ran for a seat in connecticut he's uh he's always been Mm -hmm. a guy who's who's had delved into it at least but I, I digress about Mr. Backlund. Uh, so, you know, looking at this, the, the card, and you kind of see the matchups being a little bit um, decently matched across the board. You know, like I said, Brett and Leave Cassidy, you know, two great workers getting to, you know, get a good chunk of time. Uh, same thing, you know, Janetti and Austin. Uh, Aldo and Ahmed, again, that's why I reached out to PJ, because I, I kind of wanted to know what he thought about the tour and then him drawing the Ahmed Johnson straw. Um you know, and knowing that he'd probably be in for a hell of a night of uh, of stiff potatoes uh, to be washed down with his, uh, you know, Kool-Aid or something there. Uh, but then again, Isaac Yankum and Undertaker, a prelude to Kane and Undertaker. But also, look, the Undertaker is the one that told the WWF to sign Glenn Jacobs after they worked in Memphis. Or, uh, no, excuse me, Smoky Mountain. I'm sorry. And uh, again, here you got them paired up. So I wonder if uh, that's the Undertaker. Kind of pulling the uh, the strings and saying, you know, give me this kid. I'll get something out of him for a few minutes. Yeah, it certainly could be. And that was uh, – there's a few firsts you see in there for The Undertaker, but that is uh, – mm-hmm. that's a big one to, as well. I mean, how many – yeah, it's just – it's Kane and Undertaker, but it's not. <laughs> it's Kane and Isaac Yankum. Isaac Yankum smashes um, Undertaker's face with the bell ring, which I enjoyed. Um, I'm always a sucker for a bell ring spot. So, uh, <laughs> and then took the tombstone pretty well. So that was another fun match. Hey, and you got to be careful with the undertaker's face. We all know that, uh, he wore that mask, uh, for quite a while. So you got, that's always a vulnerable spot there on the dead man and everybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, good point. <laughs> um, 
But the second round, you got you know, Bret Hart, Owen Hart match. You have uh, mm-hmm. Steve Austin and Ahmed Johnson, The Undertaker and the British Bulldog, Savio Vega and Triple H. So, again, it kind of moves forward and you see you get your classic Hart, Hart matchup. Uh, I don't care if the, the ceiling was two feet above their head. They'd find a way to have a great match, um, you know, and maybe that's how it was in the dungeon for all we know with the dungeon having the low ceiling. Um, but, you know, Steve Austin, Ahmed Johnson, again, it's just going to be brute force. Just two guys trying to survive. Uh, Undertaker, British Bulldog, you know, kind of kind of plotting, kind of uh, plunder fest. And uh, Savio Vega and Triple H, two great workers again. So they, they balance it, you know, they, they kind of find a way to not give you the 20 minute chin locks like we saw in the opening round, but you get good contests across into that second round. Absolutely. The, the second round is, uh, I mean, it's, you just went through the matches. It's very entertaining. You have again, Brett Owen, which is just off the charts. Anytime those two guys are together, but this was another great match. And then Steve Austin, Ahmed Johnson, you don't like historically expect the outcome to be what it is. Cause it's almost, it's kind of like every, you know, and we'll talk about that more, but every match feels like Ahmed is kind of dominant uh, throughout yeah. the tournament. Um, but yeah, I mean, Taker Bulldog was a couple historic guys with a, a good little match there. And then Savio and Triple H is very entertaining. And Savio had a lot of very entertaining matches at that time. Like he, he's probably one of the more underrated people when I think about it, as far as just having good matches with people in this era. Little bit of the doldrums though for Undertaker and the British Bulldog because two kind of spots in time where they were not essentially at their best. I would say you know Undertaker was kind of stuck in the traditional big guy matches. Obviously, we saw Isaac Yankum in opening round, um, and the Bulldog. I don't know. He kind of unless he was working with Brett, never really like had. I felt like those standout amazing matches, even the ones with Shawn Michaels in the summer of '96, like not that great. Um, so interesting. It could have been great on paper, but not, mm, didn't really deliver for me. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I watched it and I, I was a little bit surprised by Bulldog. I, I thought he showed up better than I expected from 1996. And, um, it was one of the shorter matches. So I yeah. think that's him as well. Yeah. And you know, it's funny on paper, I couldn't remember Ahmed Johnson winning. You know, I, I not to spoil, by the way, as we go through the card, but oh, way to go. I, I thought this was Triple H's tournament to win. But then it all clicked. And we all know the click is the reason why more than likely he got Bushwhacker Butch in the opening round and he loses in the finals because of the curtain call, which was literally, literally right before this, <laughs> that this all went down. Um, and Triple H, you know, even though he gets a quote unquote victory over the Undertaker, uh, and advances to the finals against Ahmed Johnson. You know, Owen Hart and Ahmed Johnson, I believe that's a rematch. Um, oh, man, what, is it a King of the Ring qualify? It's, we've seen this match before, but still, Owen Hart manages to survive <laughs> the night in getting uh, Ahmed Johnson into the finals. <laughs> I couldn't believe he survived Brett. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was shocked by that ending. Of course, he had to cheat and do a low blow to win, but um, that was that was a fun match. As much as Brett was eating up all of the love, Owen was eating up all of that heat too, just like Backlund. So that was that was a fun one. Owen always like he eats up the heat amazingly. Yeah. <laughs> He's another one of those guys. Uh, but yeah, the the uh, with Hunter, I mean, you have the 
you know, he was also supposed to win the King of the Ring the month after this, or or, or that's the story that's told, and he obviously didn't. All on the heels of the the click thing. So, I mean, this gave Ahmed Johnson, you know, his pedestal to get to the Intercontinental Title the following month, but also Stone Cold's his pedestal to win the yeah. King of the Ring on pay per view. It's so, a it's a very odd part of time where it falls because this is still million dollar champion stone cold steve austin so he comes to the ring with the million dollar belt draped over his shoulder but is mere weeks away from dropping the most epic promo in the history of you know the wrestling business and uh king of the ring 96 so it's it's just such a strange period because you know like we said jenny and i don't know how much you were watching at this point but you know bret hart was gone this is amazing to see Bret Hart in the summer of 96. We didn't yeah. get that. He didn't come back until almost Survivor Series, you know, right before Survivor Series. And I want to say, and, and I, I've read Bret's book many a times, and I, I should have cross-referenced it, but I believe it was this tour where he decided this is who he wanted to work with in Steve Austin when he came back. So I, I don't quote me on that. I'd have to go back and check it to be sure. But um, it's a really big kind of transitional point for them. In that spring into summer, because uh, a lot was going to happen in the next few months. I actually have not watched any of this, so <laughs> um, I was not a fan at the time. I've only got into wrestling in the last like four years. Oh, so, well, we have yeah. a lot to educate you on then. <laughs> yeah, well, I have, I have had quite the education thus far, um, but yeah, you guys were really taking me through this era very well. So as somebody, so that's great, because now we're going to pause the tournament and everything. What do you think looking back at this era? Now, this is the thing about this show is we're trying to introduce people to stuff that you've never seen before. And this is the forgotten years because it's not Hulk Hogan, yellow shirt, rip it off. It's not Stone Cold Steve Austin, middle fingers, you know, and everybody drinks beer. This is like kind of in the middle ground. You got great workers, you got flesh characters, and the business was in the toilet. So... It's a weird time. So what do you think looking at these shows? Well, um, this is interesting because a lot of my love of this era that I've learned about has been from WCW side. Um, so like 1995 Uncensored is like my favorite show. So <laughs> if I'm thinking about what I know about WCW around this time period um, and, and trying to compare the two, um, this is, you know, they have an amazing wealth of talent, uh, like you guys have talked about. And um, it, it just feels like it's just a sort of um, anything can happen. Like, you kind of feel like maybe they feel pigeonholed into trying to hold on to some of the older stuff. But I think they're doing a really good job at, like, branching out and letting go of some of that. And... Um, making the younger guys um, the bigger stars, the Shawn Michaels, and um, giving them sort of even not, I mean, I won't say bigger, but a, a good platform um, to give them the chance to become what a Hulk Hogan was or, um, you know, just give them a shot, really. Yeah. Sure. It's, it's I just, I don't mean to make fun of you, Jenny, but. Oh, God. Please make fun of me. Your favorite pay per view. I know. I get a lot Renegade of being in the corner. Yeah. The man. Yeah, it does. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> it also includes my favorite match of all time, which is the King of the Road match. I was just going to say, when you said Uncensored 95, <laughs> I was going to say, you're obviously a fan of the King of the Road match because that's the, the marquee match of Uncensored 95. But unfortunately, this is not the WCW uh, generation. This is the WWF's new generation where the, uh, the, the big boys can go stay down south uh, <laughs> for the time being. But, you know, the formula was train, say your prayers, eat your vitamins. Superheroes are what reign supreme. You know, this is what it's all about. And in this era, we see the smaller guys getting the first opportunity to really triumph, but also the, the monsters like The Undertaker and Diesel and, you know, Isaac Yankum and, and guys, Mabel, and these giant monsters that are, like you said, kind of callbacks to the formula uh, of WWF. But in the mid-90s, whether it was the previous generation getting old and not really caring anymore or just the fact that wasn't just as strong if you didn't have that, you know, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Roddy Piper, hey. you know, Ultimate Warrior guys in their prime. I mean, what 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 could be the winning formula? So it's it's just nice to introduce people to this. <laughs> I think people like speed as well. Like well, maybe. <laughs> I I mean I do. I think that people were kind of getting over some of the um exaggerated plotting sort of matches and maybe wanted something a little bit more exciting. I think. Yeah. You could, yeah, I would agree. Go. Cool. I was just going to say you could put Brett Owen in any match in any era. And I don't know how that doesn't like kill any, any other match of the time. Like it's, it's just so amazing. And that's, I, I think that's like on a mainstream level of acceptance too, because it's not, it's not a wrestling match. Like a, a Brett Owen matches just feel so serious every time. And they have such a catch as catch can thing where like it's Brett is doing this physical style and Owen is always so fast. So I don't know. I'm just throwing that in there since that's a part. Well, of they're that. rare. I mean, I think being related has something to do with that too. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. They, they know each other <laughs> in and out. Right. They always wrestled in the dungeon, of course, you know. I wonder what Keith Hart had to say about all that. <laughs> but but non-wrestling fans can get into, like, oh, yeah. matches. And you-, you can take a lot of those matches. And, again, look, at that time, and we could tell you, you know, we were fans in that era. We we could still tell you in, in 94, we loved Brett versus Owen. We loved, uh, you know, we talked about Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels. And that's putting Jannetty love aside. Just It's a great match. It's a great contest. But – that's what it was. And we didn't look at it as the big guys aren't here. We just looked at it as, oh, these are the guys who are getting pushed versus now where you see guys who are even smaller than your Bretts and your Owens and your Shawn Michaels and, you know, whoever else. And people are sitting there going like, well, I can't watch this because these guys are too small. It's just, what is it about the different eras that draws people to you know, the shows. Is it drugs? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, there was I mean, a lot of that in the mid nineties. We know that for sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm just like the people that have problems. And I know these people that have problems with your Adam Coles, uh, that are too small to be champs. And, uh, but I mean, it's like, they want big blown up guys, I guess. Right. They want the muscly guys. And, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, it's not, it's, it's not an, a requirement for me. When I think of big guys, I miss Yoko Zuna. And me I wonder where those guys are. And Chad, Chadster. 
Did you did you watch Ahmed Johnson and Yoko Zuna versus Marty Janetti and Leaf Cassidy, the new rockers? I did. I did indeed. And how did you feel about that match? I mean, what am I gonna say? I I, I love anything that Marty Janetti's in. So I mean, I <laughs> I just gotta give it. He worked his ass off. That's the way it goes, you know. He, you know what I will say though, and what struck me with him in the entrance for Marty Jannetty in the Steve Austin match. I don't know if it was just maybe a, uh, again, same thing with Shawn Michaels subdued entrance for him. He's usually very high energy hitting the ring and he just didn't have that going into it. And I shudder to think why I'm not going to say anything, but you just never know uh, something about it. Cause not everybody had that. Brad had the energy. Austin fed off the heat. Backlund fed off the heat. You know, everybody had their kind of trademarks, uh, but there's a few of those guys that really stood out that there wasn't a lot of energy. Uh, there. Hey, hell, Bushwhacker Butch, he hit that like it was in front of the Pontiac Silverdome, 93,000 people. You know, I don't know if he was licking anybody. I don't know if they allowed that in Kuwait in 96. But, um, yeah, that you know, boomerang going. Yeah, yeah, the stupid boomerang for them in 96. <laughs> My God, that was terrible. But, you know, just back to the the, the smaller guy thing. I've, I've been to a million of the early Ring of Honor shows where the guys who were getting pushed now are the guys who were main event in the shows. Then, and I didn't even think about it. I just don't think about it. But it's just when you're on the main stage in the main company and they go, oh, uh, by the way, uh, here's Shawn Michaels again. And here's Ric Flair again. And here's this guy again. And here's this guy. You can't get these smaller stars over when we think of these larger than life personas and these larger than life people. Look, you could put the warlord on TV tomorrow night. He's going to he's going to be bigger than anybody but he's not necessarily better than anybody. You know what I'm saying? You can get those guys over though. If you have a balance of size, I mean, that's a lot of the guys are, it's just, there's just a lot more smaller guys now that are in the top companies. Well, that's who's getting in. That's who's, who's training nowadays. It's, it's essentially, you know, the guys who, I don't know that you you don't meet a guy anymore and they have a catcher's mitt for a hand. You know what I'm saying? It's not necessarily, uh, (laughs) it's just the way we, I guess we're made these days. (laughs) Yeah. I was just listening to somebody and they said, you know, so-and-so had the, you know, the, the hand, the size of a catcher's man. You sit there and you go, man, I have not seen a hand like that in a long time. <laughs> that would be worrying to me. What did yeah, I mean, you say? I would be worried about that. Well, <laughs> you want to, you know, make sure you don't want to break your hand. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> but I naturally love smaller guys, but they're not smaller when everybody's small. I mean, everybody, you know, guys that I used to think of smaller guys would be big today. It's, yeah. It's just, it's a bizarre world. Right, right. You know, your Bretts, your Sean's, even uh, Shane Douglas, the guys that were considered to be the middle, you know, of the line size-wise are going to be giants now. And that yeah. to me is, it's unbelievable. Because I see Shane, you know, on indie shows and I see him still even bigger than the guys that are, you know, 23 years old and <laughs> they're shorter and they're thinner and he's, you know, 6'2", whatever the hell he is now at this point. And, you know. Well, I've, I've mentioned this to you off the air, but... Billy Gunn looks like a monster. Oh, forget about like, it. He looks like he's gigantor. And it, yeah. I never got that vibe from him when I was a, you know, attitude era loving kid. <laughs> Hell of a physique too, uh, Mr. S. Yeah, he looks like me. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I thought I, I knew him from. That's it. Uh, but overall, you know, and getting a chance to, to watch the show, did you guys enjoy it? Did you find it to be entertaining looking back 25 years later, essentially? Uh, I found it very entertaining, you know, in a way of like fun and kind of weird. Uh, not necessarily. I'm not going to say everything was like the greatest thing ever that occurred on the Kuwaiti Cup, but 
it's just I really love the first round of the Kuwaiti Cup. To see Hunter Hearst Helmsley versus Butch kind of like <laughs> made the whole thing for me joy like pleasurable no matter what happened after that. Uh, but even some of those other matches outside of the cup, uh, like Jenny was talking about earlier, but you know, like the match I just mentioned to you of uh, Ahmed Johnson and Yoko versus the new rocker, the new rockers happening in that world is like, what is that match? Like that match is crazy. <laughs> it, it makes no sense, but it's fun. It's just a fun mishmash. Uh, but I thought it was, I, yeah, I, I enjoyed the whole Kuwaiti cup thing. Um, you know, I kind of wish the Coliseum video that exists in it wasn't just a, 19 matches from Ahmed Johnson thing, but, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think it's a great, uh, great little series of events there. I enjoyed it too. Um, maybe the first round a little less than you, um, but by that second round, um, things are really like really good. It, it reminded me a lot of just like straight up fun house shows. Um, yes. I love me a house show and like, I think that the wrestlers are more loose and interact more with the crowd. And I think the crowd is way more into it. So a lot of that feel on these, everybody worked really hard. Um, very, very little of it was hard to sit through. I mean, it's long. It's a lot of matches. Yeah, it's a lot. But, um, yeah, I really did enjoy it. And plus the, um, I don't want to say nostalgia because a lot of this, like the video packages and things they talked a lot about the war and the recovery from the war and showed a lot of sad imagery about that but um in a way i enjoyed seeing that little snapshot of that that place in time and what wrestling had meant um post-war you know and right. this was one of the one big things that they had done you know, after they kind of recovered a little bit. So it was good to see them enjoying it. And all, and all we were told in 1991 was Kuwait bad because Sergeant Slaughter was aligned with, uh, you know, uh, Sheik Adnan General Al-Kasi. Adnan. General Adnan, yeah. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things, you know, it, it's quite the it's quite the political, uh, cry, you know, far cry for WWF to, to do this. And, you know, the way we're, we're talking about it, you know, there are matches available on YouTube, but that Coliseum video was kind of what, is out there as well. Um, but it, this is what they offer you on the Coliseum video for those who want to seek it out. It's actually one of the last ever Coliseum videos released that, that offered you not recycled footage from a television show. So this is real kind of rare footage for anybody to see. I feel like you had the tape for some reason, CP. I don't know why. I feel like I remember I you. Having the I, have this. I had, yes. Well, back in the day, I had a lot of Coliseum videos that were like mid nineties Coliseum videos. Uh, yeah, yeah, I feel like I you had – I don't know why because I didn't have this one, and I didn't want it because it was a condensed one. I wanted the long ones. Um, but this is what you got on the Coliseum video. You got Ahmed and Yoko versus the new Rockers, uh, which – let me just give you the last line of the review from this guy who, who wrote up this little synopsis. Uh, pretty crappy match. Rockers are terrible heels. Ahmed is green and incredibly sloppy, and all Yoko could do was punch and headbutt. <laughs> Sounds right. <laughs> Uh, then you get Brett and Austin, so they, they give you a little carrot, and they were like, here, this is what else is on this uh, this tour. Uh, Duke the Dumpster and the Bulldog, uh, Ahmed and Owen, and then Ahmed and Triple H. So that's what they gave you on the tape if you bought it for fourteen ninety five. We should drive home, though, that Ahmed Johnson did. Like, he just, within like seven minutes, Polar plunged everybody and won. Mm -hmm. Like, he was dominant in this tournament. 
on his way to an Intercontinental Championship victory at King of the Ring 96, yes. uh, which then he would have to uh, relinquish after Farouk started their epic war. <laughs> I think you can watch the Triple H Undertaker match on the network. Oh, okay. Is it in one of the hidden gem uh, categories? I don't know if it was a hidden gem, um, but I think it was their first match. Interesting. From, from what I understand. Yeah. That's what I read as well, was that this is their first match. Uh, first match ever. Last match ever. We're all international. And then <laughs> Taker wins by using brass knuckles. <laughs> yeah, quite the... Uh, Quite Random. the odd, yeah. Quite the odd finish there, um, yeah. for sure. But uh, yeah, that's a damn good point there, uh, CP. That their last match was in Saudi, so bookmarked with the the international tours. How about that? Yeah. Well, I think their last singles match was Australia. Oh, uh, that's it. I'm sorry. Yeah, they had, my bad. They had a tag team match in Saudi after that. Yeah. Jenny, I can tell you everything that happened between the years of 1985 and 19, <laughs> you know, 90, 98, let's say. I couldn't tell you Jack Squad from the last couple of years. I got everything backwards. So <laughs> that's okay. I, I'm pretty called up on the last few years. So we covered it all. Well, when you want to take a back travel through time, you come and find uh, the new generation declassified because it's, uh, it's quite the journey. But overall, I'm glad we introduced you to uh, to something new and something different because there are a lot of these uh, these random shows out there that you know need to be found and watched mm -hmm. by somebody you know who's you know you like you said you're only watching for a few years. This is something you gotta you gotta right. find there in the vault. I like it. You got an ECW shirt on there though. I do. Um, I was just gonna comment on that. Mm -hmm. And and we do love us some ECW, so uh, we'll give you a little hat tip for that one. <laughs> well, I have an ECW podcast as well. So Yes, you do. And mm -hmm. while we get into our wrap up here, why don't you tell the, the listeners what it is you're doing in the podcast world? Uh, of course, I I found you from the Place to Be Nation, where yeah. my baseball podcast is every single week, Diamond Conversations. Um, but I see all the other stuff you guys have going on, and uh, obviously, you know, Place to Be Nation was originally, you know, my foray into podcasting because I would travel and listen to the uh, the original. Mm -hmm. grouping of shows but man has it evolved and kind of uh, tell the listeners what you got going on over there well um that is pretty much where i started podcasting um i was on their pop feed and then got into wrestling started wrestling shows and then i started my own podcasting feed and um now i just do basically everything um if you want to hear me talk wrestling, you can find me in a couple of places. One of them still on Placement Nation, their wrestling feed. I have three shows there. Um, one is called Talking WCW, um, where we highlight one um, wrestler from WCW and me and my co-host each pick out a match. And then we deep dive into those three matches. Um, we have a huge backlog. Um, of episodes thus far uh, lots of great shows so check those out uh, also i have ptb nxt which is a chronological look at nxt starting in 2014 and we just went we are watching all the weekly tvs and all the takeovers so we just finished the first takeover um that's also a fun and crazy show. And <laughs> also, I have a show called Jenny and the Gems, which is sort of like this. Um, we go through the hidden gems section of the 
of the network and pick out shows and review them. Um, so I have three co-hosts for that show, um, and that's about monthly. And we have about 10 or 11 of those uh, you can find in the archives. Um, also, on the North-South Connection podcast feed, I have the Extreme Three-Way Dance, um, which is chronological ECW, all the TVs, all the super shows and everything starting in 1994. Um, so we're at the end of 1995 now about 30 episodes into that show um you can listen to my shane douglas feelings um <laughs> there are quite a few on that show and better, also they better be positive <laughs> well um so uh also um i'm on a show called tna never dies so that is another chronological look at tna um so that started in 2002, and then we've just done about 12 episodes of that. And if you want to hear more of my crap, I have my own feed. It's called The Jenny Position, and um, that's more pop culture stuff. You won't find any wrestling over there. So um, I have a show called Talk and Pop, like a interview-type show, um, quite racy sometimes. And um, has to happen. It has to yeah, happen on some shows. It does. Sorry. <laughs> um, Geek and Sassy is um, sort of just like me and my friend going through our fandoms and random crap, comics, movies, TV. Um, uh, I have a show about uh, Pluto. I mean, it's, it's nonstop over there. So just look it up and um, find me on Twitter. I'm at Jenny Position, and I link all of my stuff there as well. I'm sorry that was very long. I. I, I can't say I'm not impressed only because when I do a show and I have to go through my plugs, it's kind of the same thing. It's a lot. So I, I, I give you a lot of credit for having it all there and <laughs> being able to recite it because that's the same way. The same thing with my, my TNPT brother, uh, Mr. JP. It's, it's, it's hard to keep track of things sometimes when there's so many going on out there, but none more importantly than where we are right now. And that's exactly. generation declassified. So let's not forget that. So wonderful stuff. And I can't thank you enough for coming on. It was a lot of fun to get. No, to I had a blast. And, uh, you know, and chit chat about this and hopefully more to come. Uh, CP, the boxing aficionado, Mr. Uh, Golden Gloves there in the middle. Why don't you tell us what you got going on and whether or not this season two of the Stick and Moves podcast uh, <laughs> is getting ready? Because I mean, I'm literally on the edge of my seat right this now. It's going to be coming out going thing. No. <laughs> I've listened to all y'all's episodes, and you say it every episode. I'm just like, he's never going to do it. Oh, my God. What is that? I'm so angry about that, Jenny. <laughs> no, season two of Stick and Move Stories podcast is going to come at some point when I feel like it's proper and set, which might be very soon. I have a plan in place. I just haven't put it into mm -hmm. place. But you can find... 12 episodes of the season one of stick and move stories podcast on Spotify and anchor. And if you just Google stick and move stories, you will find uh, all those podcast episodes, which are all your CP enjoyments. Uh, we go through classic matches in the history of boxing in a documentary style format. Um, I will also say you can find me on Twitter with at, at at pugs with three z's as i will say every way <laughs> at pugs p-u-g-z-z-z -Z -Z, three z's um and yeah there's some other uh there's some other things formulating i don't have quite the uh litany of things that jenny has promoted uh but i'm people do here 
Did did the Godfather come by and blow some smoke in in the direction of CP? I don't know what happened in the last two minutes, but the I feel like as Taz would say, the mood has changed uh, greatly. Um, but I digress. Uh, it's a good way to wrap it up here for this uh, week's edition of New Generation Declassified. Hey, if you want to find me, you can head to Twitter. It's at Chad EMB. It's also at Chad EMB on Instagram. Uh, check out all the podcasts here in the TMPT Empire feed. Uh, many, many interviews coming. Many, many more things on the, uh, the horizon, if you will. Check out Dr. Tom. Check out JP and all the interviews he's got. Uh, as well as check out the Triple Threat podcast on the Russo brand every single week with Jenny's favorite, the franchise, Shane Douglas. Uh, telling it like it is. If you haven't subscribed to the Russo brand before, uh, this was a great week to do so as Shane looks back at the career and life of his friend, Road Warrior Animal. Uh, and we share some memories of uh, the great Road Warrior Animal, uh, not only him, but also his partner, Hawk, and uh, some amazing times that they all had together. And if you want to hear a little bit of the Queen of Extreme, head on over to Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Francine Podcast. The Eyes Up Here uh, Rebellion moves into its next stage as we uh, plan to take over the world one step at a time, but first in the Eyes Up Here universe. So let's wrap it up, guys. It was a lot of fun. So much uh, so much to talk about with the Kuwaiti Cup 96. Maybe we'll touch on Kuwaiti Cup 97 at some point. You never know. Uh, before Jenny and for CP, this is the Chadster. We will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.